Hello and welcome to Anjali Vision, a twice-monthly podcast hosted by me, Anjali Misra, a Chicago-based freelance writer and community organizer and general pop culture trivia savant. Each episode, I offer my best analysis of current shows across multiple platforms and genres and interview a guest expert on their favorite TV show or current obsession. Come for the intersectional feminist critiques of popular media, stay for the surprisingly deep conversations with folks from a variety of backgrounds about what they love or hate to watch. But yes, welcome again to episode two of Anjali Vision. Dear listeners, we find ourselves in a Writers Guild of America writers strike currently. The writers of our beloved TV shows are rightfully unhappy with their pay and treatment by their studio employers. And unfortunately, exploitation comes as no surprise in this capitalist hellscape of the United States. But what can we do about it, right? As viewers, as folks who are lovers of television, I'll start by saying one thing we don't want to do is stop watching TV, right? So one way or one excuse that studios and executives can use to bully writers into ending the strike or what have you is to say, folks aren't even watching your shows. Why should we pay you more? etc. and use like tanked ratings and tanked viewership as an excuse, right? So we don't want to boycott TV shows that are have already aired or that are currently airing because the work has been done, the writers have written those episodes already, but ways that we can support the current folks on strike is by amplifying their messages, specifically like posts from the Writers Guild of America social media pages and folks who are members donating to the entertainment community fund i'll have links to all of these different avenues and platforms in the show notes but yeah let's be in solidarity as tv fans by continuing to enjoy this medium we love oh so very much moving right along what am i watching currently it's been a real treat these days to be watching somebody somewhere on hbo max found out about this show from a fellow TV critic. It's a scripted drama comedy show on HBO Max starring Bridget Everett and Jeff Hiller, both uh, comedians, performers uh, who haven't had huge roles on film or television in the past. I feel like this show has been definitely a sleeper hit. Didn't hear about it until recently. Caught up, watched the first season. It's like 10, 30-minute episodes, something like that. And it's just so lovely and soothing, which is such a departure of a description for any HBO show. It's about this woman in her 40s who moves back to this small rural Kansas town that she grew up in to care for her ailing sister and you find out within the first episode that her sister has passed and she feels like directionless in life um, and has decided to stay in this small town that she grew up in just trying to find happiness and kind of her purpose moving forward and along the way she reconnects with childhood friends and folks who end up being like her little chosen family it's real sweet 
real funny, super well-written, great characters, just like very queer, very heartfelt, really enjoying somebody somewhere, and currently watching season two. Another show I'm recommending simply because I need someone to co-sign my weirdness in my love of this show. It's called From. It's on MGM Plus, which I found somehow. MGM Plus used to be Epics. I binged the first season of this show From, and the second season just started airing like last week. This is a like supernatural horror series starring Harold Perrineau. And I actually could not describe this show without the support of Wikipedia. So this is the premise that you can find online. In a nightmarish town in middle America that traps everyone who enters, unwilling residents strive to stay alive and search for a way out, but they are plagued by the terrifying nocturnal creatures from the surrounding forest and secrets hidden in the town. Y'all, not only is this show inexplicable, but it's also inexplicable why I love it so much. I really think it has a lot to do with Harold Perrineau as the town sheriff and lead actor of the series. He's just trying to keep it all together amidst the chaos. And if you like jump scares, if you like a horror series where each episode ends on a cliffhanger and you don't know who's going to live or die or why they are going to live or die, This is the show for you. Again, I cannot tell you why I like this show, (laughs) but here we are. I will say in terms of shows about people lost in a strange place with mysterious monsters, From is leaps and bounds better than the ill-fated, I think, Fox series, Wayward Pines. Anyone remember that show? Only lasted two seasons in like 2015-2016. Just like a stacked cast like Matt Dillon, Carla Gugino, uh, Shannon Sossaman, and just was such a bonkers series. Plot didn't make sense. You think it takes place in one era, but it actually takes place in a completely different era. The monsters are just way too scary for how silly the dialogue is (laughs) at least that's my memory of wayward pines anyway from much better much more of a cohesive story (laughs) yeah i i want to defend this other monster in the woods series a little bit more oh and what a coincidence i realized that m night Shyamalan was an executive producer on Wayward Pines, and I was going to plug the Apple TV series Servant, for which he serves as showrunner. The much maligned, yet still hanging on, M. Night Shyamalan. Oh, what a guy. But I think I can uncontroversially say that Servant on Apple TV is quite good. I highly recommend a binge of the show. It's kind of hard to not try to watch several days in a row and try to finish. Just prepare yourself. It is four seasons, 40 episodes, 
And sorry, y'all, I promised I would give a variety of show recommendations, but here I am plugging yet another psychological horror streaming television program to you. Yeah, what is Servant about? It is about a Philadelphia couple who suffer a inexplicable tragedy and through trying to cope with it, end up hiring a nanny with a mysterious background and things get real real weird from there over the course of four seasons this show has everything a rural cult lady with a baby doll that she thinks is a real infant child rupert grint aka ron weasley and a beautiful turn-of-the-century townhouse in philadelphia pennsylvania And I won't say more only because the joy in watching Servant really comes from trying to figure out the mystery and try to get a grip as a viewer of what's real, what's imagined, what these characters are actually experiencing, what you yourself are seeing. It's uh, quite a trip and I will say good on you M. Night Shyamalan for releasing some creative control to some other people so that a compelling story could be told. Not me hating on M. Night Shyamalan during Asian American Heritage Month. Oh my goodness. Anyway, y'all, it is now time for me to talk about a show I would not recommend. And this week, that show is The Gentle Art of Swedish Death Cleaning on Peacock. This is an Amy Poehler-produced reality series where a group of three Swedish professionals of some sort visit Americans in their homes and help them clean and organize and sort through their home lives using a convoluted and obscure philosophy from Sweden having to do with death. I would just suggest watching that Marie Kondo show instead. It's the same thing and slightly more entertaining. I do understand the appeal of watching a show where disorganized people uh, clean their homes. There's something cathartic about it. Uh, I'm I'm with you. Uh, I just wouldn't recommend this particular show. It's just that the whole thing feels predicated upon... The idea that these three Swedes are so baffled by American lifestyle, which is annoying. Speaking of Europeans, it's time to move to the interview segment of today's episode. I'm going to be talking to my friend Jenny about Eurovision. So my guest this episode is Jenny Situ, a Chicago-based health equity professional, fellow community organizer, and friend of mine. Jenny is also a Eurovision super fan, which is why I asked her to join me on the pod and talk about this European song competition that has been around for several decades, but not many Americans seem to be very into, unfortunately, but it's catching on. And so before we dive into my chat with Jenny, I just wanted to provide an extremely brief overview Eurovision for folks who might not know what it is. Eurovision is a song contest and it's internationally 
televised, organized by the European Broadcasting Union, and features participants chosen by the EBU member broadcasters representing their countries from across Europe and beyond. The contest format comprises of three live shows, the first semifinal, the second semifinal, and the grand final all airing over the course of this week, actually. The big five that get aired are the participating broadcasters from France, Germany, Italy, Spain, and the UK. There are a bunch of weird rules about what kind of songs from each country can and cannot be submitted. I think one of the things that you need to know going into this conversation is that this song competition has launched the careers of bands like ABBA. So it's kind of a big deal, you guys. But yeah, without further ado, let's dive into my chat about Eurovision with Jenny. Hello, Jenny, and thank you so much for being on my podcast. I'm so excited to have you. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk about Eurovision to anyone who would listen to me about it oh my god yeah Yeah. we were just talking before I hit record you're like in the past you've gotten really excited about Eurovision and people have been skeptical is is that the word that you would use (laughs) I think mostly confused and a lot of people are pretty unaware of what Eurovision is even though it's like one of the most watched live event in the world it's an annual song contest and it's been on since 1956 and it's very popular in Europe and the reason why I think a lot of Americans don't know about it is because for many years it was just programming or broadcast until more recently when there was a deal with peacock i think so now it's like streaming on peacock now this year that's exciting yeah oh so shout out to peacock for bringing it to the american masses for the first time in a long time or ever yeah i think bravo had it one year which i thought was the perfect channel for it i think eurovision has definitely featured and championed a lot of lgbtq talent over the decades and I thought Bravo would have been like such a great channel for it but I don't know what happened but then Peacock picked it up I think that Netflix movie with Will Ferrell definitely put more attention on Eurovision because that was that I think that's why some more people know now what Eurovision is because of that Netflix movie (laughs) I was gonna ask you about that but I was also gonna say my total entree to Eurovision was the Will Ferrell Rachel McAdams Netflix movie Eurovision was never on my radar then the movie came out and I was like wow this is a big deal for a lot of people and I'm sure folks like me were like had that same entree but yes it sounds like it wasn't the best representation I just thought the story was okay yeah Yeah, it was just like a silly duo trying to make it big there were lots of cameo appearances of other folks who have won Eurovision over the years so I thought that was really cool and then in the actual Eurovision contest they featured a cameo of some of the characters from that Will Ferrell movie representing Iceland it was very confusing because they were acting like their characters and it was it was very bizarre yeah I thought that was fun 
that kind of brings me to my next question of what brought you to Eurovision? Like, how'd you find out about it? What about it has kept you coming back each year to watch? Yeah, I, it was, it's definitely been over 10 years I've been following Eurovision, but my partner at the time, like maybe 13 years ago, he and his roommate were really into rugby. And I think they were just like more exposed to lots of European happenings and celebrations. And his roommate pointed out like, oh, have you seen Eurovision? This is a huge thing. And you like music, right? Let's watch this. And so we watched, I think we illegally streamed it and watched it. And it was the most bonkers contest I've ever seen. And I was like, I have to like keep watching this every year. It's like the Olympics for me. Like every country is competing and you're cheering on and the songs are dramatic. The performances can be like super campy or bizarre or just like beautiful ballads. And every year it's like a wild just a wild ride because you're not sure who's gonna win and then the voting part is convoluted it's quite a marathon like a marathon of a of an event and so we started hosting viewing parties every year under the theme of the host country so if it was hosted one year it was hosted in netherlands in the netherlands because they had won the year prior we decorated our apartments with like tulips and someone baked traditional Dutch food to serve and someone made like traditional like Dutch cocktails. And then I got to get more exposure to like different kinds of music, different types of instruments that I've never seen before and learning a lot more about history and the drama between different countries. So that's why I love it. It's just, I love nerding out on it. Music, history, geopolitics oh my god hearing you explain it I get it now it has everything what what's the most consistent beef I can say recently because of Russia and the conflict in that region they're not welcomed to your vision in the last couple of years they have not been allowed to send any entries Ukraine won last year so then on a technicality, they would have had to host. But mm. given the war, the second place, which was the UK, said, we'll host in place of Ukraine and we'll try to incorporate a lot of Ukrainian elements. I don't know how Liverpool's going to do that, but I would love <laughs> yeah. to see them try. So one thing I think is interesting, but I and I don't agree with this rule, is that there is a ban on political lyrics which I totally disagree with a lot. of There are a lot of songs like over the years where people will definitely put out there and it's like clearly a critique on some politician or something against Russia. These artists, these songs have to be very careful, like in, in the amount of like how they say things, how they phrase it, because they're on the line of you get banned. Mm. So there's actually one song I want to highlight. I'm not going to say it's a great song. It's like a hot mess of a song, but I think it's hilarious. And they're trolling. They're just here to troll. But Croatia has this song 
and I think it's called Mama Zizi. Okay. And they're basically a shock rock band, and it's really going to test the political lyrics band. This Love is it. straight up critiquing Putin. Musically, it is a hot mess. I'm really looking forward to the performance. It's going to be goofy. I'll add, yeah, I'll share a list of interesting songs. One year, so one of my favorite bands is Hatari. And this was probably like two or three years ago. Like it was right before the pandemic. And this band was from Iceland. And the host country was Israel. And everyone flew to Israel to perform. And Iceland sent this industrial bdsm looking anti-capitalist like art group to perform go. and they like shocked everyone because it was because traditionally it's a lot of pop songs and ballads and then you get this like bdsm looking band showing up singing about the end of capitalism which is amazing and then oh. when they finish the song and then they shoot hear the reaction scenes later in the broadcast they hold up the flag the palestinian flag some people were cheering and they got banned from eurovision i think they got banned from the country as well they also snuck into palestine to record with an art a palestinian queer artist i believe like a fire track like just outside of eurovision like they're they recorded a song and anyway, I don't think they're allowed to go back to Israel, but anyway, they're like an amazing band. And I only found Damn. out about them through watching Eurovision. So the band's name is Hatari. Okay. Amazing. Check that out. Check it out. It's so Very great. cool. Very cool. Yeah. Um, just want to mention for our listeners that we'll be sharing in the show notes, links to the bands and songs you mentioned. Appreciate those shout outs and it's so funny because as a novice and someone who very peripherally knows about Eurovision, pleasantly surprised to hear that like for a show and for a competition that's trying to be very apolitical, folks are like heavily sneaking in the politics, which is great to hear, honestly. So my other question for you was in terms of this year, thoughts about who's in the running this year predictions for this coming Saturday it's it's two semifinals this Tuesday and Thursday so they go from 37 songs to I don't remember how many songs like in the finals but it's maybe like 25 I'm just I'm not 100% sure on that number but yeah there's there'll be definitely eliminations this week okay and then the final would be happening on the 13th there's a grand jury for each country I'm not entirely sure how they select some people say it's rigged I don't know there's like how in the Olympics like people always say this is rigged or there someone's being bribed I'm not entirely sure but they've also introduced a fan voting option and that's been a dramatic because they score it live so you can see like the different countries on the screen on their flag and they move bump up on the roster or they bump down and at the end they're like now we're going to calculate the the popular vote from not the judge but like the internet and then that just like dramatically flips everything and so the voting part 
will take a long time, but it's also it, like people are on the edge of their seat too. Cause you don't know what, what's going to happen. Yo. It's wild. We, unfortunately, as Americans cannot vote. Europeans can. Of course. Through the app. Yeah. <laughs> we can root for our favorite songs in country. I, I think there's like a lot of strong songs and some that are just okay pop songs, like boring pop songs, but I think France has a really great shot at it. It's like this sad disco romantic song. Definitely like really cute disco vibes. Into it. I dig it. I think it will definitely be placed like top 10 for sure. Moldova is one of my other like top song. There's like traditional folk instrumentation. There's like modern song elements in it. I don't know. I just love it. I just, I dig their song too. And I'll just say Serbia is another great song. The artist is called, is named Luke Black. And Serbia sent this song that was just like totally unexpected, very moody. It's like a lot of industrial elements. So anything that's going to sound like Nine Inch Nails, like I am totally, in. I'm like a hundred percent in. Yeah. Even if they don't place, like I'm like still rooting for Serbia. Yeah. I love it. Love it. Oh my God. It sounds too like entries really run the gamut in terms of genre. Is that accurate to say? I, I would say there there's going to be some diversity. I think generally a lot of pop music, but yeah, every now and then like Germany sent this like glam rock thrash metal song that was totally out there i love the diversity of music that they bring i don't know how strong that song is i'm rooting for that i hope i hope they get to the finals yeah i think they will they remind me of guar oh Um, very cool you know guar oh yeah like guar but more glam (laughs) oh okay i'm very excited i need to see a glam guar are you kidding me it's gonna be it's gonna be great yeah love it are there any songs or bands you've seen thus far that have been particularly terrible bizarre just like how did this even get submitted yeah I was thinking about this earlier today what one thing I've noticed a trend is that these songs are a little less weird now than they were 15 years ago they're focusing a little bit more on maybe sounding a little bit more mainstream and like increasing the replayability of a song. That's just my guess. And I think with the bigger budgets and production values, they're like focusing more on like this extravagant like performance. Yeah, like there was one year, like 15 years ago, where a country was being represented by a turkey Muppet on stage. You're not going to see that now. I'm, I'm pretty sure like one year Russia just sent Russian rapping astronauts there are two songs that come to mind that feels weird. The Croatian song, which is the shock rock band I was talking about. Definitely the Howard Stern of music of the bunch here. The other really bonkers one is from Finland, and the song is called Cha Cha Cha. <laughs> uh, it feels like two different songs are being smashed together. There's a lot of metal screaming into it but then the second half of the song feels like j-pop so i'm really looking forward to the live performance you may have noticed that i've been like trying to review songs on instagram 
I won't have time to do all of them, but I'm just picking the interesting ones. Please do. Um, I'm, I've been trying really hard to just focus on judging the song, but there's been a lot of like behind the scenes and rehearsal footage that's been coming out in the last week because they're practicing their songs now and they're figuring out like what works live on stage, like what gets cut, what doesn't. And oh. so I'm just excited. And I saw a clip of Finland's song called Cha Cha Cha. And it just looks like a bunch of flamenco dancers being tied up in like a wrestling ring. And then the lead singer is wearing this giant green neon outfit. I don't understand it. I'm excited <laughs> to see it. I'm excited to see all the performances. One country I'm looking forward to is Malta and they have this funky retro vibe there's definitely a lot of saxophones the song is called dance it's like a very chill (laughs) funky I think I assume they're all going to be dressed up in sequins like a disco ball like I think that's going to be like their whole vibe yeah love it love a saxophone (laughs) yeah there's not enough songs with like saxophones in them so I was really surprised when this came out from Malta Anything that you want to add with our remaining time? Um, Perhaps predictions. Who do you think will take the cake or end up on top this year? Or is it too early to say what other factors need to be considered? Yeah, I have a feeling. I thought this song was fine, but Sweden seems to be getting a lot of buzz. A beautiful ballad pop song. I still think France will be high up there I think there's gonna be a lot of attention around the Ukraine the artists are actually former like pharmacy students that's how they met in school and then we're also musicians let's like record some music and they released this electronic R&B song which we have not seen from the Ukraine which is amazing yeah I think the Ukraine will place pretty high up so wholesome what a story You've convinced me, Jenny. (laughs) I may have been a skeptical American at the beginning of this conversation, but I'm into it. Like we said, we love a theme. We love a costume. We love international intrigue and drama. So I'm down. I'm ready for Saturday. Yeah. Thanks again. It's going to be great. Thanks for tuning in, friends. I have been your host, Anjali Misra. Thanks once again to my guest today, Jenny C2. You can watch Eurovision on Peacock this week. Editing for Anjali Vision is provided by Audrey Cornell. And the Anjali Vision podcast is brought to you by the Trident Network. Thanks again and see you in two weeks. Anjali Vision is part of the Trident Network. To learn more about our videos, live shows, and other podcasts, please visit thetridentnetwork.com.